Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, I'm going to say it one more time. Good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are, again, so thankful that all of you decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week, especially if it's your first time joining us. Honestly, thank you for giving us a shot. Now, there's a quote that I see pop up on social media fairly frequently, and, and granted, what pops up on my feed might be quite a bit different than what pops up on your feed. Uh, us pastors, admittedly, can be a unique breed. And, and for whatever reason, nobody seems to know who to attribute it to. But, but it goes something like this, that the most tolerated sin in the American church is consumerism. Or sometimes I've heard it read, the, the most overlooked sin in the American church is consumerism. Now, for this thought to appropriately sink in, you have to understand that, that church here, and, and actually every instance in Scripture, it isn't a reference to a building. It's talking about, about a people. See, we draw this English word church from a Greek word, ekklesia, which more literally, or I would add properly translated as congregation or people or assembly. It's not referencing a building, but instead a, a group of, of people, and namely a group of people who have committed themselves to following a guy who goes by the name of, of Jesus. A, a local assembly of people committed to the teachings and the way of life demonstrated and authenticated by a Jewish carpenter who roamed the earth some 2,000 years ago. And many people, far wiser well than me, have come to the conclusion that the most tolerated sin amongst American followers of Jesus, those living in first world countries, is, is consumerism. Now, I thought long and hard about that, that sentiment, about that statement, as I'm sure you would actually hope that I did, you know, since I'm delivering a message on the topic right now. And, and admittedly, my first reaction was honestly just to push back. It felt a little overstated. Somebody's exaggerating here to make a point. But, but as I processed it, as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, as I felt myself studying for this particular message, more and more I found myself mumbling, I, I think, I think they're right. For instance, and I recognize I'm not really starting right here with the softball, uh, but pornography is a much more prevalent issue in our world and certainly even in our churches than most of us realize. With conservative estimates telling us that over 50% of adult males regularly view pornography, with, with women actually not far behind, particularly that 18 to 35 demographic who have officially tipped the scale over 40%. And, and those percentages exclusively go up year to year, and there's virtually no difference between those who claim Christ and, and those who don't. So my point, it's, it's a big issue, one that we ought to talk about. But, but pornography, particularly in, in the church, it's, it's far from, from tolerated. Most do recognize it's, it's wrong. It's sort of hard to escape those dirty feelings after viewing it. Your conscience, something that God gave every single one of us, tends to kind of tip us off. Or, or let's take something that is extremely prevalent in our world, and yes, again, even in our churches, uh, alcoholism, or that kind of propensity for people to drink more than maybe they ought to. Now, again, this is a topic that most people are at least initially willing to engage in. And I have found in the appropriate, in a non-confrontational setting, that people are willing to be self-reflective and, and consider their alcohol consumption and whether or not it's risen to an, to an unhealthy level. So, so again, prevalent, you bet. But, but tolerated? I don't know, not, not really. 
We're willing to, and in fact, we, we do talk about it regularly, at least here at, at Grumlaw. For, for instance, actually, there's a group, and they're kind of, I think, the unsung heroes of this church that meet every single Thursday night called Alcoholics for, for Christ. In fact, it was actually just this last Sunday, uh, we were singing a song, Back to Life, and there's a line in that song that says, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you are mine. And, and every single time we sing that song, and I'm not expecting to get choked up right now, I think about my brother. The enemy thought he had my brother. The enemy thought he had so many men and women who are a part of that group, Alcoholics for Christ. He, he thought that you know death was on their doorstep. There was no way they were gonna ever experience victory. But Jesus climbs along and he says, you are mine. He, he, here's my point. Amongst a healthy faith community, there's a lot of thought a lot of prayer that goes into thinking through that which has the ability to undermine our faith, that which has the ability to hijack our faith, that which has the ability to lead us astray. And so in that vein, it's important that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're incredibly mindful of the answer to the question, what or who has the greatest opportunity to divide my loyalty? my loyalty to Jesus, not only as my Savior, but, but my Lord. And we've talked quite a bit about this recently. Do you remember this? When we declare Jesus to be our Lord, it's not, it's not merely a name. It's not like a job title. It's, it's in fact, a declaration. It's, it's an admission to the order of things, a, a sort of calling out as to who reports to who. God, you are the creator. I am the creation. I submit myself to your authority because you are my Lord. I give my loyalty to you because, again, you're not only my Savior, you're my Lord. You call the shots, not me. Your infinite kingdom rather than my fragile little kingdom on earth. Now, now the very natural pushback at about this point, and if you're feeling what it is that I'm about to communicate, I want to remind you, this is normal. Everyone resists this, at least, at least initially. The natural pushback is, what if I don't really want Jesus to be my Lord, right? It's like, maybe you're thinking, I'm just kind of exploring the idea that, that potentially, maybe he's my savior, that, that, that maybe he did save me from my sin problem, but submit to him, like place myself under his authority. He, he calls the shots. I'm, I'm not so sure. See, the truth is, right, I, I sort of like being my own Lord. I, I like calling the shots. My kingdom come, my will be done. I, I'll holler at Jesus if I need him to bail me out. But until then, it's kind of all about me. And, and mind you, if you're feeling a little bit of that, it's, it's important you wrestle with that. But by virtue of the fact that you're sitting here today, that you've made Grumlaw a part of your week, that you're listening to this right now, there's there's likely at least a little something inside of you that's sensing, that's, that's whispering, that maybe you're not a very good ruler. That, that, that you have a propensity to, to, to not only let other people down, but come on, you even, you even let you down. That, that even on, on your best day, if it's all left in your hands, I mean, it's all you calling the shots. I mean, you're still not batting a thousand, right? And see, Jesus, honestly, he doesn't get nearly enough credit for this. He's trying to bring us to at least a moment, just a moment of honesty, a moment of humility, a moment of self-reflectiveness where, where admittedly you're probably not going to admit this to anyone else, but we're at least honest with ourselves. Where we admit, I'm, 
I'm not a very good Lord. That is, if it all rests in my own hands, I'm, I'm going to screw this up. That, that, that even those areas where I'm supposedly most gifted, I, I still make a lot of mistakes. Allow me to kind of throw myself under the bus for a moment. I want to be the best parent possible for my three children, Logan, Malachi, and Oakley. I love those kids so much. They have been the singular greatest blessing to my life outside of my wife and and Jesus himself. And, And despite my effort to be the best dad possible, weekly, I mean, literally, there has not been a week that has ever gone by where I'm not at least a little impatient where there's not at least one kind of angry dad moment where I just kind of lose my temper with my children. Or or for instance, I want to be the best husband possible. I want to place my wife ahead of myself. I I want her needs to be before my needs. In fact, I kind of signed off to that when when I married her. But, But yet there's still moments when I'm pretty snippy with my wife, Andrea. There's opportunities just about every single week where blatant opportunities dropped into my lap where I have the opportunity to serve her and I know it. A dishwasher that needs to be unloaded and I wrestle through, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? A room that's really messy from the kids and am I going to pick it up or am I not going to pick it up? An opportunity to wake up earlier and let my wife sleep in so that I can get up and get the kids all ready for school and am I going to do it? opportunities dropped into my lap every single week, and I blatantly, blatantly ignore them. I want to be a wise and a good steward with my money, but yet I'm still more likely, if I'm being honest, to say yes to buying a new pair of shoes for myself that I do not need, as opposed to giving more money away to causes and organizations that are quite literally transforming lives. So with all, not just mine, all of our collective lives as the backdrop, Jesus can kind of unflinchingly look at us and say things like, hey, if any of you wants to be my follower, not just my believer, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and and follow me. And then he reminds us quite plainly, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you, you will save it. Jesus knows that, well, you like your own way, that that you and I like calling the shots. But but he's also asking us to consider where our way has has gotten us. And, And with like this refreshing honesty, and I say refreshing because remember, it's bathed in love. Jesus is for you. I assure you, he wouldn't have given his life for you if that wasn't the case, if he didn't love you dearly. See, if someone isn't for you, if it's not from a place of love, a statement as as blunt as what we just read, it's it's immediately labeled as judgmental, right? We we immediately go on the defensive. But but with a refreshing honesty, Jesus explains to us that if we keep playing Lord, if, if you keep being your own ruler, you keep calling the shots, you'll you'll fail. You'll lose. And in fact, come the end of your life, you're you still will not have found what it is that we're all searching for, that true peace and joy and contentment, meaning, purpose. But he says, hey, if you give me the keys, that is, you allow me, Jesus, starts to start calling the shots. You start taking your cues, Jesus says, from me. You're going to experience a peace and a joy that you didn't even think was possible. 
Unflinchingly, Jesus tells us, and remember, it's not arrogance, it's confidence. It's not haughtiness, it's, it's love. Jesus looks right at us and says, I am such a better Lord than you could ever be. And those words were chosen intentionally, not will ever be, but literally could ever be. Because the truth is, even if you had 500 years on this earth, you're still going to keep on getting in your own way. It's that pesky, annoying, sinful, selfish nature. And your creator is trying to explain to you the creation that, that this is actually the proper order of things. Him calling the shots us humbly submitting to his authority because we understand he really does know what's, what's best. And in our incredibly wealthy, consumeristic, take-just-about-everything-for-granted society, nothing, that's not hyperbole, this is just a fact, nothing has a greater opportunity to deplete or divide your loyalty to Jesus as your Lord. Hijack his authority as does your stuff, your money, your possessions, or, or aptly labeled under a singular umbrella, consumerism. See, there's not a person in this room who, who is not regularly and constantly tempted with this. But by virtue of the fact that you live in a first world country like America, at best, this is a tension that you have to manage. And at worst, it, it is completely taken over your life. Again, pornography, it has a stranglehold on some of us, but, but not all of us. Alcohol and substance abuse, it's, it's controlling some of us, but certainly not every single person in this room right now. Overeating and more specifically taking care of our bodies is a topic that we do and should talk about, but it's not something dominating the thoughts of every single one of us. But consumerism is completely unavoidable while living in America. Unless, of course, maybe like you're Amish. It, it impacts every single one of us. To, to be fair, there are certain topics on Sunday mornings that you could reasonably say, well, that just, that just wasn't very applicable to me. And, and I might be tempted to believe you this is not one of them. This is one of those topics that applies to everyone, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike. See, this is true for more of us than we would probably like to admit, and granted, you probably have not seen it this way. We are owned by the things that we own, rather than the other way around. Consumerism is robbing you of true life. And while a statement like that might come across as incredibly blunt, even maybe insensitive, chances are, I get it, some guards are probably up right now. Many of our lives, that is our spending habits, the stuff that we have parked in our driveway, the Amazon packages stacked on our porches, indict us. Now, now here's my sort of working theory on, on why consumerism has become so acceptable, yes, even amongst followers of Jesus, even right here in the local church. Uh, number one, consumerism, it's just, it's been normalized. Uh, allow me right now to use an extreme example to make a ubiquitous point. We look at, for instance, the African slave trade with absolute horror, right? It's like we, especially as Christians, like how could have Christians existed? How could anyone have existed and, and, and allow something so horrible to happen? How, how could we have allowed something like this to become so pervasive? D don't overthink it. It's because it was rationalized and, and normalized. That This is just how society works. The strong prey on the weak. After all, it's for the betterment of America. And the truth is, after something gets sowed into multiple generations, eventually, for the most part, people resolve to apathy and they just kind of allow it to continue. 
As the saying goes, it is what it is. And then number two, as I just alluded to, apathy takes over. Now, now we love to think that, that as Americans in particular, we're, we're a fighting type of people, that when the going gets tough, we, we get going. I, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I mean, certainly resolve and grit, it varies from person to person, but from my vantage point, so take it for what it's worth, that the opposite seems to be more commonplace. When the battles feel like they can't be won, we're pretty dang quick, actually, to wave that white flag and, and concede. Sure, we might hold those same staunch opinions, but we walk around with our shoulders hung quite low. We're pretty quick to admit defeat. But worse yet, we get paralyzed by hypocrisy. How could I possibly push back in this area when I know it's still so prevalent in my life? So the question is, is where do we, where do followers of Jesus in particular turn from here? Do we resolve to the American consumeristic way or do we, or do we push back? J- Jesus tells us, push. Push hard, like your life depends on it. Because the reality is true life, true freedom, that the freedom that in fact he is offering you does depend on it. As one of my favorite preachers, John Tyson frames it, elevate your vision. The God of the universe is contending for your soul. He's an Australian guy. That was my, that was my best crack at an Australian accent. Elevate your vision. Stop sulking around and it is what it is. Remember that your creator, the God of the universe, goes before you, with you, and after you. Push back. Because you're not, a, you're not a Jesus believer. You're not a Jesus user. You're not a Jesus consumer. You are a Jesus follower. He's your savior, yes, but he's also, he's also your Lord. So he gets to call the shots, not your money. It's time for us as followers to flip that ownership paradigm. And Jesus, wouldn't you know it, he advocates for us to just be faithful. In light of what he has done for us, and remember, he freely gave his life for your sin. He just kind of looks at us and with a kindness, with a generosity, with a love, he says, hey, well, will you be faithful in return? Will, Will you trust me? Let's take a look at at his words. He he says, if you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But he says, if you're you're dishonest in little things, you you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And and if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, he, he turns it now specifically to consumerism and money and stuff and possessions. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful, with other people's things, why should you be trusted with, with things of your own? And, and then he puts it very, very plainly. He says, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and continue to dip your toes into consumerism. See, what Jesus is telling us here really couldn't be more clear. If you continue to try to be Lord over your money, your money, your stuff, your possessions will in turn own you. You will be owned by the things that you own. Your loyalty will be divided and will in fact always end up swinging towards money. But but the Jesus way, 
the way we push back on consumerism, the way we truly follow, the, the, the way we protect ourselves from the throngs of consumerism is a principle that we have been teaching and advocating from day one around here. And, and mind you, it is far from original to us. Give, save, live. That the very first thing that you do when you get paid is you give 10% back to kingdom work, specifically the local church. Not because I'm after your money or other pastors are after your money, but because God himself chose the local church to spread the life-changing, eternity-transforming message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And he calls us as followers to, to give to that mission. So the very first thing that we do when we get paid is we give 10% back to the local church. We then save 10%, and then we live off of the rest. We live off of that 80%. Now, now, the churchy word here for give is something that you've probably heard of before, even if you're new to all this, called, called the tithe. And, and Jesus tells us this is how we remain faithful. That, that this is how we ensure that money doesn't own us. That this is how we push back against consumerism. Now, now to be clear, that the tithe is not a, it's not a tip. A, a, a tip and we've been talking about this over the course of the last series, a tip is a sort of conscience cleanser. You, you drop a couple bucks in here and there to make actually you feel better about you. But let's be honest, there's, there's no plan. You, you tip every once in a while, you drop a couple bucks in there, maybe even a check in there. And maybe you do it this time of the year because it's like, all right, it's the time of year where you're supposed to give, I guess. But you give because the sermon was super convicting and and if you don't give, you're, you're afraid God might smite you. And you're not really even sure what smite means, but it just, it just sounds bad. So you're like, I, I got to avoid that. But, but, but tipping does nothing. I'll make this very clear. Tipping does nothing to change the condition of your heart. Church, it does nothing to train you to become more like Jesus. It, it, it is at best a momentary act of kindness. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with tipping. There's nothing wrong with being generous in that regard. It's not like it's a sin, but do not expect it to do jack squat to protect you from you. Don't, don't expect it to do anything to mold or conform your heart to become more like your heavenly fathers. But, but the tithe is altogether different. Tithing actually works on our hearts. See, tithing has, has a plan. Now, the very biblical scriptural definition of tithe, that's what I just mentioned, is, is 10%. That the very first thing that you do when you get paid is you give 10% right back to God. But I also recognize that, again, if you've never practiced this before, you've never practiced true tithing before, the idea of readily handing over 10% of your gross income is like the scariest notion ever, and you're just going to chuck that to the side. And so I always say around here, just pick a percentage not a dollar amount, pick a percentage of your gross income and begin to give it back to the local church. Because even if you, for instance, you start at 5%, I know if you start there, the Holy Spirit is gonna get a hold of your heart and you'll be at 10% before you know it. The tithing quite loudly declares who is in charge because you first give back to God. Now, it was actually last year around this time that we did a series called The Blessed Life. And so if you're nerding out and actually liking this topic or you want to know more, admittedly, I'm trying to cram what we talked about last year in six weeks into a single week, okay, into one week. So The Blessed Life, you can look that up around this time last year. And one of the things we talked about that was giving to God first, like I'm doing right now. And it just kind of struck me, my wife and I, we have automated giving, recurring giving set up, the, the easiest and the best way to give here. And for whatever reason, I had set it up to be drawn out on the 15th of each month. 
And, and honestly, I think back, I'm like, why did I do that? I'm like, I think I did it because so many other things hit on the first of the month. And it was that feeling of like, I got paid and now I didn't get paid because all the money's already gone. So the, the tithe being a fairly significant amount of money, I bumped it to the 15th of the month. But, but there's just kind of this Holy Spirit conviction. He's like, I'm not technically getting first. Your mortgage gets first and those bills get first. And, and so I changed, I went back and changed it to the first of the month. So the very first thing that happens, I get paid. Then the tithe gets taken out and given back to the local church. The tithing says, God, you come first. You're not only my savior, but my Lord. And because you, because I know that, that money has the singular greatest opportunity to divide my loyalty. Remember, Jesus teaches us where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You choose to give to him first. Church, to be clear, this is following 101. I'm going to say something very, very plainly right now. And by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are totally off the hook for this. But but you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and and continue to stand in defiance in this particular area. Part of following is is handing him control, yes, even of your finances. This was second nature for those early Christians And I think what we do in 21st century America is we have a propensity to look back again at early Christianity and we think that they had it so much different. It's like, well, they gave because they didn't really care about money and they didn't didn't worry about money. Money wasn't back then what it is today. And so of course they were readily willing to to relinquish it. That's not the case. No, I'd like to think that the reason that they so willingly gave that early first century church is because the death and the resurrection of their savior was fresh on their minds. In fact, it was fresh in their eyes. And if the God of the universe was willing to get off of his throne and offer his life for my sin, that the greatest demonstration of faithfulness and love of all time, of course I'm gonna gonna do anything that he asks of me. Of course I'm gonna be faithful. Of course I'm gonna take the step with my finances. How, How could I not? His heart, I mean, look at it, it's clearly for me. Even if I can't see it in the moment, I understand that if he's asking something of me, because again, he's clearly for me, he must be protecting me from something down the road that I don't have the ability to see. And, and let me remind us of something that's, that's really, really important. God, this, this is important, God does not need your money. Remember, it, it all came from him in the first place. So I promise he's not looking to you for a short-term loan. God's kingdom does not operate on dollars and cents, but, but rather obedience. His kingdom operates on following. God rather gave us the gift that is the tithe because he was looking towards the future. He was, in fact, looking to this precise moment in history, looking to you and understanding the havoc that money has the ability to wreak in our lives. The the tithe giving, it's it's for you, it's, it's for me. In fact, it's precisely because God knew how consumeristic our society would become that he offered us this simple yet life altering habit. The tithe is a gift for you to protect you from you. Remember where we started this. Jesus is a better Lord than than you could ever be. And and nothing in our lives has a greater opportunity to undermine Jesus' lordship as does our money, our stuff. 
con consumerism. N nothing has a greater opportunity to divide your loyalty. Nothing has a greater opportunity to undermine you and the people that you care about the most. And I want us to think about this. How kind is that? Jesus, <laughs> being so for you, is, is trying to protect you from, from you. That which will ultimately spell your, your undoing, rob your joy, steal your contentment. He's desperately trying to get our hearts more in line with his. He knows what a, what a lousy Lord you and I are. What an even lousier Lord money and stuff and consumerism is. And Come on, I'm not telling you anything that your life hasn't already shown you. Because what do you have to show for all those buy now, ask questions later decisions? Mountains of debt, endless stress, fights with your spouse, worry, sleepless nights, anxiety. I mean, shoot, even those of you that can technically afford this stuff, right? I and mean, we do live in America. Some of you are filthy rich and you can afford all those Amazon packages that are sitting on your porch. But, but has it brought you joy? Has it brought you contentment? Has it brought you peace? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. I mean, he might have brought about those moments of happiness, but we all know that happiness is fleeting. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. So, so Jesus asks you to give him the keys. Yes, even when it comes to your finances, because again, he has something better for you. And if you've never practiced tithing, I get it. I know that everything inside of you right now is saying, heck, no. But, but let me remind us, where we resist the most is usually where we need the most help. Or, or in our context, where God is most leaning in and asking you to trust him. I, I'm going to end with a, with a verse from Proverbs. If you've never picked up and read the Bible for yourself, Proverbs might be a great place to start. It's, it's just a collection of wisdom for everyday living. And in the 11th chapter, the writer reminds us that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but, but the world of the stingy, the consumer, it gets smaller and smaller. Church, this is the beauty of giving. It, it not only impacts those on the receiving end of the generosity, it, it impacts you. It, it works in us and through us to, to change us to change. And this is what's most important, to change and transform our hearts to become more like that of our heavenly fathers. That the father who willingly exchanged his son for your sin, that is how much he loves you. That is generosity. That is faithfulness. From hearts of stone and greed to, to hearts that willingly and enthusiastically give recognizing the privilege it is to play a role in God's infinite kingdom. It, it provides meaning for your life. The, the, the world opens up to you because you begin to play a role in something bigger than, than you. you. You say no to you so that you can say yes to something beyond our little kingdoms. Mark Buchanan puts it this way, generous people generate things. And, and consequently, their worlds, they're more varied, they're more colorful, they're more fruitful. The world delights the generous person, but seldom overwhelms them. But, but the consumer, the spender, the, the hoarder, life chews them up and spits them out. As Jesus just reminded us, you end up storing treasure here on earth that only, that only wastes away. 
because you haven't allowed God to change your heart through generosity, you're convinced there's never enough. And wouldn't you know it, there never is. And because Jesus is so for you, because he loves you so much, he asks you to hand him the keys, to let him call the shots. Yes, even and perhaps especially with your finances. He's looking to protect you from, from you, protect me from, from me, to protect us from consumerism and the damage that it causes to our souls. He's inviting you into something far better. Jesus is a better Lord than, than you could ever be. So let us be a people, a, a faith community that give, save, and live.